I want to take a minute to tell you about Federal Access. Federal Access is our coaching and training platform that we develop for government contractors. The resources in Federal Access have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. When you become a member, you're going to get access to hundreds of documents, templates, training videos, on-demand webinars, and you get SME support from me. So if you have a question, you can email me directly anytime. Here's a special offer for Game Changers listeners. Visit federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers today and get started for just $29. That's federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers to get started for just $29. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Michael Lejeune here, and we have a great episode of Game Changers lined up for you today. We have Kevin Jans. He is the co-host of the Contracting Officer Podcast and the president of Skyway Acquisition Solutions. We've had Kevin on here a few times, and as we were talking right before the show, Kevin is the host of what I often refer to as the other podcast in governments. You know, the uh, there's there's a couple out there, but Kevin, you're the one that when uh, when people are talking to me, they're like, "Hey, we listen to you guys. We listen to Kevin." And those folks. And uh, so, I mean, you're clearly just tearing it up out there, doing some great stuff and providing a lot of really great value for people. And I, I like what you're doing over there at the Contracting Officer Podcast. I'm glad you, you guys reached out to us to do another episode here today. So before I, I uh, gush too much about what you guys are doing, why don't I let you tell folks a little bit about yourself and what you do for the folks that, that don't know you yet? Sure. I appreciate the kind words. And it, it has been an adventure, uh, four years into podcasting, and, and now it's really starting to hit its stride. I mean, we were kind of talking to the rain for, I think, like the first year, it felt like, and nobody was listening. But yeah, you and I both have seen it really kick off, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. So it, my, Go ahead. Go ahead. So my niche is I'm a former contracting officer, and hence the Contracting Officer Podcast. And I started a company, what, seven years ago under the idea of if you knew the CEO's perspective, you'd be more successful. And that turned into a podcast and it turned into a consulting company and turns into books and all kinds of other stuff. So that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. And, and that's awesome. I, I like the idea so much because I think there's so many people that approach contracting and government from their perspective, right? You know, they're at, at our core, a lot of us are kind of selfish with the whole me, me, me mentality. And you're trying to get people to actually look inside of what's going on in the contractor's world or contracting officer's world where, you know, that can really make a difference, you know, as a government contractor. So kudos for you guys doing that and toughing it out. You know, I, I remember years and years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago when podcast initially started, and they had like this, hey, this is this really cool thing of podcast. And then it crashed and burned like severely. And then, <laughs> you know, then we went years until the technology caught up where you could hold this little computer in your phone or in your in your hand is your phone. And then everybody like the podcast all of a sudden came back and people now are like, "Ooh, are you checking out podcasts? They're like, yeah, this is a really old concept that's just made a comeback, you know? And so it's, it's, it's really cool to see all the people embracing it like you guys are doing and doing well with it. So, so again, kudos to you guys for that. So. And I honestly, I believe that the best way to find your customer is a podcast. Um, I, most people that I've told that story to, I can tell you, I think you guys are in the same boat. 
I mean, we're north of 90% of our customers come from the podcast because they know, like, and trust us. They get to know us. They get to know what we're talking about. They, they appreciate our culture. They, they get to know us personally. They can hear it in our voices, just like you and I are talking here, right? Yep. It's a phenomenal tool to be able to tell people, here's, and by the way, if they just use the great content and it helps them do better, that's okay too. Because once you create it, it's out there. And it's a yep. unique medium from that perspective. So I, eventually, everybody else, I think, is going to figure that out. But for now, you and I are kind of the, the trailblazers. Yeah, you know, and and we've got, you know, celebrities embracing the podcast and all that sort of thing. And, you know, for folks listening today, you know, if you're a government contractor and listening, you don't just have to listen to these. You can go start one and you can give those to, you know, your clients as well. They could learn more about you and what you do. And so just provide value and you know, do what Kevin's doing over there. He's focusing on his niche, you know, and you know, that's a, that's a great way to do it. So, so enough about, uh, you know, podcast today. So why don't we dive in and you sent me an interesting topic. It is called acquisition and execution time zones. So why don't I, I'm just going to toss it right over to you. And why don't you tell us what acquisition and execution time zones are? It all started way back in the Wayback Machine, 2013. I was sitting in a in a meeting with a prospective client, and he was he was asking me, "Can you tell me how the government market is just like the the commercial market?" Because he was a commercial contractor trying to get into the government space, and just it hit me out of the blue that if I could break it into a pieces that he would just clearly understand that they could see the differences. And so we came up with these this concept called the acquisition time zones, and it includes the requirement zone, the market research zone. RFP zone and the source selection zone. And so each one of those, and when you, and you put time zone, so no, when you put time zones around that, it's a simple concept, a simple metaphor people can grasp. And it doesn't matter what the acquisition is, everything we buy. And the funny thing is when you look at it personally, everything we buy, whether it's government or, or, or our personal uh, company or however we're buying things, each one of those has to apply. So the requirement is what are we buying? You have to decide that first. Government has processes galore for that. Then the market research zone, which that's that's where you start to interact. You see things like in the government lingo, you see the RFIs, you see industry days, you see draft RFPs. You you start people go to, to conferences to pick up information. The government is looking for okay, we have a requirement that was the first stage. Now we want to see who can actually do this, and that's where our small business set aside decisions and contract type and all those decisions are made. And then at the end of that, the government comes up with this. It lets us to make it simple. It, let's say it's an RFP process. It's a FAR 15 requirement. Then the end of that market research zone is the start of the RFP zone when the RFP drops. And now things are different. As you all know, when, when the RFP drops, the calculus is different now. Communication is different. The rules are different. Certain things, the ability to talk to industry changed overnight as soon as that RFP came out. It's a different zone. It's a different feel. It's a different purpose. It's a different environment. And then during the RFP zone is when the industry is writing the proposal. They're responding to the RFP. And at the end of the RFP zone, then you have the source selection zone. And again, that's a whole different environment because now the proposals have been submitted. No more changes unless asked for. The government is now in this you know, black box, which that's what we specialize in is showing people how the black box work. And, and once you're inside the black box, the government is just looking at your proposal and making a decision and something comes out the other end. I'm massively simplifying this, but that's the point of it is to take this really complicated concept called government acquisition and break it into four zones that anybody can wrap their head around. And so that was the, the concept that I, I literally birthed it in a meeting. <laughs> and then we built training around it and we built, we've, if there's a episode three of our podcast is the basic acquisition time zones. And then we have an each, we have an episode for each one of the, the zones after that. 
But then we realized, okay, that's only half the story. There's two parts to every contract. There's winning the contract, then there's actually executing, like delivering the service or the product. And so we came up with the execution time zones. And it's the same concept of you have these four zones. You have the kickoff zone, or the, we call it the honeymoon zone is a better name for it. That's where everything kind of starts, right? You have the performance zone where the work is getting done. You have the recompete zone if it's being recompeted. And then you have the wrap up. And that's when you close out the contract and, and go on to the next one. The cool part about why it's important to understand both of these is if you look at it visually, it's like a big pie with eight pieces, it, like a pizza pie, right? And so up, up in the upper corner, the upper right-hand corner is the requirement zone. And you wrap all the way around because when you recompete and you come back through the wrap-up zone, oh, look, it's time to, to do this all over again. For service contracts, this is exceptionally true because they're almost always recompeted. I mean, a product contract or a research and development or a lot of specific types of contracts may be a one-time thing or that it's changing over time. But service contracts, this is, a, this is a repeated process. And so helping people understand simply where am I in the zones? And the cool thing about them is that they're not all, the pie piece example doesn't really work when you think about how long the performance zone takes relative to the RFP zone. The RFP zone may only be 30 days, but the contract performance is five years. So it's not exactly linear, but being able to wrap your head around where are we in this process? What can I do now that I couldn't do during the RFP zone or that I couldn't do during the, the requirement zone? That's the whole point of these, of these zones. And we have an ex, actually it's uh, episode 84 is the execution time zones on our podcast. If you want to get really into the weeds, but I kind of gave you the highlights. Yeah, I'll stop no, talking. No, no, that's awesome. No, it's really good stuff. I, I like the way you guys have bro broken that down, and it it totally makes sense. You know, there the the acquisition time zone, the ex execution time zone, how those work together. I, I would think if if I am listening to this, I would think the question any business would have would be, you know, why do these matter, and how do I use them to be better and, and like i mean i could see they have some of the answers but maybe you can help fill in some of the blanks here on on how to use these because i do think they, they matter a lot knowing what to do in which zone is very important like you said the rules change overnight sometimes uh so knowing where you're at is is very important so may, maybe help fill in some of the blanks for us on how you use the zones to to be a better government contractor so the, the biggest one like you said is knowing which one you're in that's a big part of it, but also knowing what you can do in certain zones that you can't do in other ones. And, and here's the big one, knowing what the government can and can't do. There's a lot of discussion mm. over government can't really talk to industry. Okay, that's explicitly true in the RFP zone, but it is not true at all in the market research zone and even in the requirement zone. In fact, they're encouraged to do, and I can give you a couple of FAR references in FAR Part 1 and 15. There are lots of places that say that government should be talking to industry. The challenge that happens is people say, well, I don't want to get, make things unfair. That's true in the RFP zone, but we're not there yet. The RFP hasn't dropped. And having understanding of that and being able to put in an email to a contracting officer or, or a program manager, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm literally getting on the phone with you because I don't want to get in trouble. And you're able to give him a FAR reference and say, well, we're still in the market research zone, right? Because RFP hasn't dropped. This FAR reference says that we can all talk. So this should be okay. And then CC the contracting officer. So now you're, you're making everybody aware of, we know where we are. We, industry, understand the rules too, which, again, having been a contracting officer, that's what always terrified me is that I'm afraid you don't know when we stepped out of the RFP zone and you're going to keep calling that program manager and you're going to keep trying to shape the requirement, which you can do during the market research zone, but it gets in all kinds of trouble once the RFP drops. Or here's another one. 
when you get to the point where you're, we're starting to select a, the evaluation team, if the evaluation team has been talking to companies throughout the market research zone, which again, they should be doing, but if they're telling people they're going to be an evaluator, that creates a problem. And so don't ask that question. <laughs> if you're industry, don't even ask them if they're going to be an evaluation team because nice. that's not going to end well. Because worst case scenario, they say, yes, I am. In which case, as a contracting officer, I have to remove them because now there's a conflict because they have information. That is critical information that unless you publish it to the world, that's going to get protested and that, that becomes a train wreck. So the better thing is just don't even ask them. If they're associated with the program, assume they're going to be somehow involved and let it go. But those are the kind of things that knowing where you are, you can talk to that person, but what do you ask them? What things can you ask them? What can mm. they tell you? What, what information are they looking for? And then we also have episodes. There's one called uh, Who Are the Players? And it's the same idea of during the requirement zone, the focus during the requirement zone is what is the requirement? What does the user want? What does the, the program manager, the customer, the person that's going to get this thing or service, what do they really want? If you're contacting me as a contracting officer at, during the requirement zone, I'm not really that involved because it's not my call. What, what we're going to buy is not my call. I'm not the one that has the money. I'm given the requirement and given the money. And then my job is to put those two together to create a, a contract that execute, that's executable. And so once you get in the market research zone, okay, now I'm getting involved, but I'm still not the lead person on this. I'm, I'm, I'm the person putting out the draft RFPs. I'm, I'm appearing to be the lead person on the FBO, but realistically, depending on how active, the, how big of a contract it is, whether I'm the source selection authority, there are lots of other players involved. And knowing what those players care about. One of the things we talk about, we just did an episode that's going to come out this week, I think, called uh, the complex sale. And it's the idea of a complex sale is inherently different from a simple sale in one key area. It's more than one decider. And the last episode you and I did was called the three deciders. And that's the concept of there are more than one person making a decision on, on what the government's going to buy. Well, that's the same thing in the, in the commercial market when you get into large you know, enterprise-wide sales. It's more than one person making that decision. The simple sale is you walk into a store, you buy it. You go on a website, you buy it. It's one person making a decision. It's a transactional thing. that They choose what the, what the criteria are, they being the buyer. Or the, the, in this case, the, 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 think of this in terms of the simple sale is the, the things that you can, you can make the decision on the spot. And the government makes those sometimes, government cr credit card, those kind of things. That's one person making one decision. Complex sale, you got more than one person involved. And throughout these acquisition time zones, different people are more involved or less involved or don't even care. For example, the economic decider, the person who actually provides the funding, like the, the senior executive or the general or the, the director of, of the agency, they gave the money way back in the requirement zone. By the time they get the source selection, unless they're the source selection authority, they don't really care about that process. So taking them to lunch isn't really helpful at that point. Of course, it could also create conflicts depending on what's going on. What they care about, is it done yet? Do you, have a, do you have a product for me that I can execute to support my agency? So depending on which agency you're in, it's not a matter of necessarily knowing what you should be doing, but what does the government team care about? Which one do you talk to at which time? And likewise, here's a great example for a small business specialist. The small business specialist really cares during the market research zone because their case, I think they call them the small, the small business professional now is the new name they came up for. But this is the person who works in an agency and their primary function is to help small businesses get more contracts. They're the ones that they keep track of all the, the, the rates and the, and the goals and make sure that 35% of the awards for this agency go to small businesses. They're the ones that really care about that concept during the market research zone. Once the RFP is released, particularly if it's, a, if it's released as a small business set aside, 
they, they're not, they're, you're going to get in their way. They're not going to reply to your emails. They might just add a courtesy, but they're now they're worried about, okay, I did my, my role was to make this a small business set aside when it made sense. Now that that's happened, each one of these small businesses coming to me creates a challenge for me because now I'm concerned that, well, what if I, it appears I give one favoritism and, and that's why they shut down. And again, I've been in that seat where I'm talking to a small business, even as the contracting officer, if I'm having a conversation with you over the phone after the RFPs come out, I, I'm concerned that whatever I tell you, I got to, I got to put it out on FBO. And there are, there are mechanisms to manage that. That's, that's, that's not a bad thing. It's just, it's, it's a task, right? Well, imagine if you're not the contracting officer and you know, you're not supposed to be talking to these people, but you go to a conference and they ask you, it is an awkward environment. So the better thing is just don't even ask if you're in that zone. So there's a, and here's, I'll give you one more example. Actually, one of our, one of our customers uses the acquisition time zones. They overlay or they overlay or integrate whatever with their shaping process. And so they have their pipeline, their pipeline of opportunities. They're tracking, you know, how, what contacts do we have at this one? When's this contract going to come out, et cetera. And so they integrate these time zones with their shaping process, with their pipeline. Because they can say, okay, now that we're in this zone, I know we can do the following five things. And we need to do them now, like in the requirement zone, is a good time to be talking to the customer to see what, what, how can you help shape this requirement depending on the size of it and the complexity and how much, how much targeting you're doing. Can we help shape them the requirement to make sure that it's done in a way that, that makes you an, an, an advantaged offer? Say it that way, that's the value of shaping, right? Well, then that really goes to, that kicks up even more when you move into the market research zone. Because now I'm a government specifically looking for feedback. So you know what you really can talk about. Things like what is the contract type going to be? Is it going to be an LPTA? What's the source selection criteria going to be? What's this, the security requirements going to be? All of those things are decided during the market research zone. It's, if you want a list of the things that they're talking about, look at FAR part 7.105. There's a list of acquisition plan requirements, like 22 things in there, all kinds of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that the government is looking at. And so this is your chance to influence that stuff. But as soon as you get to the other zones, not only is it too late, but it also can create legal issues. Because if the perception is that you did influence it incorrectly or, or you have some kind of conflict, that creates problems for the evaluators. It could create problems during protest. It's just nothing good can come from that. And so what happens a lot of times is people will be frustrated that, well, I can't talk to the government. Well, it depends on when you talk to them. So understand, and that's why I'm making this idea of putting these time zones into your, your pipeline and knowing which one is in which zone, it, it liberates you from having to worry about, hey, can I, can I talk to this guy now? Can I research this now? Uh, should I get a teaming partner for this now? You can figure all that out because you've got this map that you're, that you're it's kind of like, like a heuristic that you're using to, to keep the, the order to your, your uh, pipeline. Again, I talked a lot there. <laughs> no, that's, that's all good stuff. Uh, I'm sitting here thinking, uh, I, I just have one question for you that I have no second or third or whatever. Uh, so <laughs> I have questions based on what you're saying. And again, sitting here listening as, you know, one of the podcast guests, if you will, to, to what you're talking about. And one of the things that I'm thinking about is how you can, I'll put it in my words, map these time zones to my CRM. So that, you know, it's matched up. But so I also know very clearly, hey, I'm in this zone. So I have my list of things that I should do. And I assume you guys probably have a chart or something for your clients. They can print out to say, hey, if you're in this zone, these are the, the can and can't do stuff. Right. I, I assume you have something like that for, for folks. Yeah, we, we have graphics and we yeah, have yeah. Real entire training on this. But yeah. We also have the podcast episodes. I mean, yeah. if you listen to 13 through 16, 
it talks to in, in detail in each one of them. And that's a lot of times that's, that'll get people off the, you know, off, off the needle. They can start yeah. to move forward in the right direction. Yeah. And, you know, so, I mean, I think that's a great concept, you know, just having that and understanding in your sales process, what you can and can't do, because we, we usually get those questions all the time, especially from people new to government contracting. You've probably seen this. You get the same set of questions all the time. What can I do? And what can I do? What should I do? I want to reach out and touch them, but I don't know what, is okay given where we are <laughs> you know you hear those questions and uh, you know thus the the time zones right um and so it's it's great to be able to match that up with the sales process your crm however you're managing your pipeline uh so that you can know what you can and can't do now i want to go back to something you said early in that section there you were talking about letting the contracting officer know hey it's totally okay we're in this zone or this however you want to put it I think a lot of people, I know I've talked to a lot of our clients who are super terrified. Uh, There's probably not a word strong enough to describe their fear, right, (laughs) of sending that email or having that conversation that says we're in XYZ time zone. This is totally okay. This is where it says in the FAR we can do this. From, From a former contracting officer's perspective, how should we do that and how is that received when when we do it the the easiest well there's a lot of answers to that the easy one is or the shortest one it, what medium are you communicating with them through now it's usually going to be email um, most most of the time that's how i live was via email because yep. i got to document stuff etc cetera, et cetera. so it's just, let's assume that it's an email right i don't know i don't know if the acquisition time zones has taken on, I, don't, I know it hasn't taken on that much but I mean, there's, you know, we're getting a couple thousand downloads a day. So there's people that have heard of it. Uh, so that's a possibility. I wouldn't necessarily start with that because that's a little bit of hubris on my part to think that they know what that is. But you can say if I, and here's how you word it. If I understand FAR 1.705, based on where we are in the acquisition time zones, and again, maybe you could tag the podcast at that point or, or tag the concept or, or for that matter, just say, based on what I read in this part of the FAR, here's where I think this is okay to ask. That's the big thing is, is show that you're looking at the FAR. And I was actually helping a client with a debrief once and the contracting officer, because we're, we're quoting parts of the FAR, we stitched together this concept to say, well, based on, on putting 15 and, and eight together and, and you know, far parts of seven, I think that this is a question that we can get an answer to. And the contracting officer, just like I would have, which is why we consult on this kind of stuff, it, she said, well, I'm so impressed that you read the FAR. And so that's the message you want to send is that this is what we live in. We there as a contracting officer, there are moments that I can't believe the rules I got to follow that are in the FAR because they, they seem in some cases counter to all things I know about business, Yeah, but it's not the same thing. So it's not exactly business, right? It's a little bit different. So you have to be okay with that. And sometimes the contracting officer is just as frustrated with the fact that, yes, I have to do it this way. Yes. I have to ask you for a, a, a final proposal revision, even though I know you're not very likely to win, but that's what the FAR says. Right. And so I'm trying to find a way around that. And so those are the kind of things If you know that, that if you have a way that you can show that you know what the FAR says, you've looked into this, you, you've not just punted back to them and said, hey, fix this. Because that's the feeling I get when somebody would say, well, I don't like that evaluation criteria. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it's required by <laughs> FAR Part 8, so sorry about your luck. You know, it's like people would negotiate over, over the DFARS clauses. I had a, a client was telling a story of, of they were, they actually, I'd sent them the contract back when I was a CEO, but it, this, this story came up from the other side that the contract comes back with red lines on it in, in, in the FAR clauses. And I'm thinking, I, those aren't negotiable. 
I can't change those, right? This isn't me being mean. This is the the Congress has decided that yes, you have to do things like have a a policy for texting when driving. (laughs) Sorry, it's in there, right? Those are the kind of things that that if you just throw it back at the CEO, it seems like, okay, I I get that this job isn't easy, but it seems like you haven't even tried. And that's the tone you don't want to send. So the easier Mm -hmm. way to do it is is show them part of the FAR. And again, they're not hard to find, you know, know, between, between our podcast and yours, there's all kinds of references to them. It's, it's not now applying the the nuances of it. Again, that's what we do. But the idea of being able to look through FAR part seven and look through FAR part 15, look look at what the the language for protests say and say, I I don't want to protest this, but here's how I read it is that I think we're entitled to this. That's a very different language than, Hey, I'm mad. Which again, right. you don't say it that way, but that's that's what we hear as 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 CEOs. Right, and and that was actually going to be my my follow up question to that is, are there any hot buttons or triggers on the contracting officer that if I were to say or use a phrase, would that be like the immediate oh you know red face I, uh, I can't stand these guys <laughs> you know for for communicating is it are there any hot buttons like that when you're trying to communicate something like this? That's a good that's a good question. Um, let me think of what, what put me through the roof. I would say probably one of the biggest ones is just the, the blatant threat of protest. Um, hmm. I've had people that they'll, they'll threaten, they'll threaten to protest just because they lost. I'm like, well, that, that isn't by itself protestable. It's like, right. somebody's going to lose. It's like, a, it's like a sporting event. Somebody's going to lose. Let's, let's get over that part. But if you think we did this wrong, which, and then so sometimes you, you get very, I would get very frustrated with the never-ending protest of, of just because they think they should have won doesn't change the fact that they did not. Right. And that's the stuff that just you know, itches at people. And so you have to be careful that, that, you, that you don't overput. You, hang on a second. We have to be careful that we don't overstress the value of just because I'm mad, I get to. Right. And so mm-hmm. the tone, I wouldn't say it's, it's necessarily one thing. It's just the tone of um, like people, it's this actually, let me give you another story. I was at a training event back when I, I first started to uh, started Skyway and I was attending a training on proposal management and the people that were in the room, cause I, you know, again, I, I, I was a CEO the whole time. I, so I'd never really written a proposal. This is back in like 2011. And so I thought, you know, I need, I know I've reviewed a bunch, but what's the process for writing them? So I'm sitting in this room and about 10% of the people in the audience or in the, the class just had this visceral dislike for government people. And I'm thinking, I, again, I'm I'm trying to be under the radar. I don't want to be picked out as a CEO and make that the topic of discussion. But I'm obviously the only like you know, former CEO in this classroom, and I'm listening to the visceral dislike they have for the government folks. I'm thinking, I'm sure that's coming through your proposal. I'm sure it's coming through your emails. And oh, by the way, why do you work for an industry you don't like? So that's a different problem. Yeah. But that that tone, right? And so that's part of it. Is that it's not necessarily one big thing. It's it's the dismissiveness of it. Um, it's the idea of, and you'll hear this sometimes from some of our team. We have, uh, Steve was on the podcast once and he talked about, make sure that this is his pet peeve as a contracting officer was make sure that he's a former Navy SEAL, that you're treating your government customer like you would any other customer. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things that sounds really silly when you hear it, like, why wouldn't you? But you think about it, it's a big enough contract or certain companies that like only the, only the government buys this in some cases, only the government buys it at scale. The perception is, you know, they're, they're federal employees, you know, whatever. They're just, they're just paper pushing this, right? Well, if that tone comes through in any of your communication, you're, you're not going to get, I don't want to say you're not going to get a fair shake, but you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to find that it's more difficult to do the, the work than you think. And my concern, and we call this 
there's a, there's a phrase we came up with for blah blah where it's all about us that when you, you put content in a in a proposal or anywhere it's about it's about you as the salesperson right that stuff gets blown off when the government person thinks that you're just don't have any interest in the fact that there are parts of their role that they're not easy and they don't even like them but it's what's in the far you just got to deal with it and so that's probably the, the biggest advice I'll give is make sure that when you're looking at the, the things, the way you communicate with a government customer, whether it's take the cutting officer hat off, whether it's the core or it's the, 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 the invoice people, make sure you get paid. If you're treating them like you're entitled to something, they're going to hear it. Mm-hmm. And that's probably my biggest. And you know, let's let's after what, five minutes of talking now, that's what it is. If yeah. I get a feeling that you think you're entitled to me giving you a contract, that's not a good thing. That's what it is. Yeah, there you go. So, what should I thought of that first? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it's all good though. I mean, it's it's the thought process behind it, and there's little nuggets everywhere. And you know, I have seen that whole entitlement mentality with people, where uh, especially anyone who has a status. I mean, pick the status; it doesn't matter. Uh, I've got a friend who has his SDVOSB. That's his only status that he has. And he initially, when he was calling around and talking to these contracting officers, he would say, "Do I need to remind you?" Which, you know, that phrase alone sets some of oh, wow. you know, do I need to remind you that there's a requirement for you to give a certain percentage of contracts to people like me? You know, you know, people that are CO you know, service disabled. Wow. And I'm like I'm like, is that your opening salvo? <laughs> you know, like that's that's how you start that? Like, no one he's like, I can't figure out why they don't like me and why they won't do anything with me. I like it's that phrase. Everything else you're doing is probably okay, but that phrase just sets them off. And you know, you were talking about things you can and can't do in different time zones and things and and how, you know, you can communicate. I always tell people, they can communicate doesn't mean they have to, doesn't mean they will. And you're talking about, you know, you might not get your fair shake. Well, there's things they could communicate with you at certain time zones, right? That they would choose not to cuz you're a schmuck. You know, and and they don't want to deal with you. And so that's just the way life is. People don't talk to people that annoy them usually. And so we always approached it. This was kind of interesting. I I don't know if you've heard any of my story from back in the past where I was actually an engineer when I first kind of got thrust into sales in the government space. And then I went from thrust into sales to I woke up one day, thought we were getting a huge investment of income into our company only to find out. And, and it was really one of those, it was those horrible meetings where they go 25, 30 minutes where you think, hey, the punchline's coming, the punchline's coming. We got the investment only for them to say, we didn't get the investment and you're all fired. And, <laughs> wow. And so... And I'm like literally selling my house that morning to move cross country to, for this job. And um, they, long story short, they hire us all back. They fire all the directors. I become the VP of sales from sales guy who's been in sales for eight months of his life to the VP of sales. So I'm totally naive about all this stuff. And I just approached it as they're all the customer, you know, because I, I think a lot of people approach the customer as, my warfighter, my two-star general, my program manager, that's my customer. That's who I have to keep happy. And they don't look at all the players, which the contracting officer is part of those players. And I was just so young and naive. I mean, I'm talking like 22 years old, maybe 23 years old. I'm so young and naive at the point that I was just like, you're all my customer. You just, you all kind of work together, right? And people would look at me like, 
why are you treating this person like a human being? They're a contracting officer. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? And I'm like, you know, like, well, that's why we, you know, in that particular small company, we went from just under a million dollars a year to 12 million in the span of about 18 months. And then it kept growing and it's, we treated everybody the same, like you were talking about earlier and just, you know, treating these contracts, the, the people would tell me like, how are you getting these contracting officers to spill their guts to you? You know, in those, those time zones back then, we didn't know anything about the time zones. We didn't even understand the process. Um, and it was like, I don't know. I just call up and say, Hey, how's it going? What's new? <laughs> you know, or I'll shoot a quick email. Hey, how's it going? What's going on? Hey, I know this has been stuck for a while. You know, you guys need anything or, Hey, you know, I know you're in the middle of a shutdown. How's that affecting your family? You know, just treating them like they're normal people versus, you know, this, evil genius who's wielding the contracting officer acts or whatever you want to call it. So <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was just so different, you know, for me to, to see that. And so I'm glad you talked about that and things that would, would set you guys off and like said, the tone, you know, alone. And, and I, I imagine there's times where you could have shared something, but we're like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not calling this person, you know, they're just going to yell at me or, you know, like there was like my buddy, Hey, you do remember, I reminded you three times on three previous phone calls. You have requirements to, you know, give this stuff to us. So uh, and, and with caller ID, I mean, they don't, just something as simple as not picking up the phone because they know that it's not going to be an enjoyable conversation. Oh Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that it's funny you bring that up. That's one of the number one questions we were always asked is how do I get them to pick up the phone? They want to answer the phone. I'm like, hmm, I wonder why they want to answer the phone. Let's talk. Let's talk about your process. <laughs> let's talk about what you're saying that's doing that. You know, there's little tricks, you know, I mean, obviously you could, you know, block your number and all that, but there's little tricks of calling the other offices. But man, how are you treating these people? You know, and that's that's the big thing. It's it's so wild to see how people treat government in general and, and how that works. But, uh, but good stuff, man. Any final thoughts you have for folks on these acquisition time zones and acquisition and execution? Because I don't want to redo your whole podcast. We don't want to do that. We want to point people to what you've already done. But I'm curious if you have any final thoughts for them on that. Uh, the biggest thing for me is is overlay this with targeting, is understand who is the perfect customer for you. The, the beauty of the government market is it's just so enormous that you will never run out of opportunity. And so with that mindset, when you start, after you've started to target and you, and you find the right opportunities for you, the right agency, the right, the right contract type, what, whatever it is, then apply these. Don't start with these or you'll end up chasing everything. So yeah. start with targeting and get to these. No, really, really good advice. And, you know, I think all of it's been really great advice. I really appreciate you coming on here talking about this. And for people that wonder, you know, Kevin has talked about several of his episodes, uh, all the way from three to 84, I think you mentioned. So there was three and then 13 through 16 and then 84. And <laughs> There's several different, just go listen to the whole podcast. Just binge, listen to it. Like you would Netflix, like, like our listeners do. But, uh, our last episode that we did with Kevin was back. It was episode 33 where we talked about working better with contracting officers. And so that was, that was one of the ones that's out there. So a lot of great episodes for people to go back and listen to. Kevin, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on and talk to people. I think this has been super valuable. Awesome. Well, thanks for the invite. All right. We really appreciate it. Before we take off today, I want to ask everyone a simple question. Are you feeling stuck in your government business? Do you feel like you should be winning a lot more contracts, but just can't figure out how to 
bust through to the next level? Do you want to accelerate your results and hit your goals faster? Does that describe you at all? If so, I have a very special offer for all of our listeners today. Visit us at rsmfederal.com slash breakthrough coaching, where you can schedule your very own business breakthrough session with me. You're going to walk away from the session with three things, a copy of the award-winning government sales manual, at least three strategies to supercharge your business, and some specific answers to your biggest challenges that are out there. Now, normally these sessions run about $495, but for a limited time for our podcast listeners only, you can schedule this session at no cost to you. So that's zero cost to schedule a session with me. Simply visit rsmfederal.com forward slash breakthrough coaching. And you'll be able to fill out an application. So scroll all the way to the bottom of that page, fill out an application that'll come directly to me. Then I'll reach out to you. We'll get our, our session scheduled and we'll walk through some of the challenges that you're having, whether it's you know how to grow the business, your goal setting, um, specific challenges you're having in government. This doesn't have to be just about specific to growing any business, but you're going to walk away from the session, not only understanding how to approach the government from a better perspective, but you're going to walk away with a lot of confidence on what you need to do, what next steps you need to take to supercharge your government business so you can take the next several months, the next several years to a whole new level. So again, visit us at rsmfederal.com forward slash breakthrough coaching. You can uh, get an overview of what Breakthrough Coaching is all about. Scroll all the way to the bottom, fill out the application that'll come to me, and then I'll schedule your session for you. And last but not least, let me take a moment here. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. We really appreciate your support. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. And be sure to tune in next time for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.